Hello everybody, good morning, good day, good evening from wherever you're joining us. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Andy Lemadonzela and I am still your host. And welcome to the AEN podcast, which is entitled, Welcome to the uh, African Evidence Eco uh, System. Uh, of course, you have showed us a lot of love for episode one and episode two. So we definitely had to give you episode three. We still would like to hear from you. So please continue to interact with us on all our social media platforms using the hashtag AEN podcast. So today's episode is about uh, EITM in different countries in Africa. And it is it will be uh, a very interesting one. Uh, and without wasting more time, I'd like to introduce today's speaker, who is Ian. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Anita. How, How are, are you? you? Nice to be here. Um, so I'm going to start us off with just a, a very quick bio. So the first one is that Ian started his career in agriculture and has worked all over the world with government, private sector and NGOs. Uh, hoping to hear more about that. And then the second one is that he's best uh, known for establishing and running uh, South Africa's national ev evaluations uh, system and is the founder of the Twende Mbele Partnership. Quite interest, interesting things there. Uh, so as the culture of this podcast, uh, we start off with icebreakers, right? So I have like a few questions so that we can get to know you outside, just the EITM and evaluation stuff. So the first one is, if you could change your name, what would you change it to? Well, I actually have another name, Sipiwe, really? which was given me by Jabu Kanyele. So, really? so That's an interesting story. <laughs> so, so maybe maybe that could be the other name. I know you have used it. Oh, okay. That's very interesting. Okay. And then the second one is, what is the story behind your current wallpaper on your phone? Uh, it's behind? my it's my two granddaughters. Ah, <laughs> cute. <laughs> we love granddaughters. <laughs> um, and then the third one is, what advice? So this one is a bit deep. It's... it's it is, what advice would you give to your younger self? Hmm. I have no regrets, so carry on as you did. Oh, <laughs> that's going to be interesting. Okay, and then the next one is, if the sky uh, could rain food, what food would you like it uh, to rain? Uh, well, uh, what's I mean, I... I love pasta, so okay. maybe types of pasta, whether it's lasagna or, or okay. cannelloni or... Just some pasta. Pasta would be good. Pastas. <laughs> um, okay, and then another one is describe the perfect day for you. So if you were to have the perfect day, what does that day look like? So the like? perfect day, so I have the, the fortune to live in the most beautiful place, which is called Simonstown, near, near Cape Town. Okay. And I... My days I really love is when I get up around dawn okay. and I walk down, which is about a 20 minutes walk to the beach. And then I sit and then I walk along the beach and then I sit on the beach and I have some coffee and I have a toasted sandwich. And then I walk back and I see the most wonderful sunrises. And that that's just the greatest start to the day. That sounds nice. That sounds like the perfect day. <laughs> uh, and then a tricky one. What is your favorite? This is the last one. What is your favorite Amapiano song? 
I have to say, I'm not an I'm a piano. <laughs> I don't know. I, my my son, sort of my daughter's partner plays Emma piano, but I have to admit, I don't know it. You don't know it. So, but I, South African jazz, yes, but not not Emma piano. I'll send you a playlist. So <laughs> okay. you can give it a try. That'd be great. <laughs> yes, do do that, Antile. <laughs> Okay, so um, those are very quick icebreakers. I hope you enjoyed them. Did they break the ice? Yes, I think that was a very nice way to start. <laughs> <laughs> okay, straight into the serious things now. Um, so I think last week, uh, the last episode focused on EITM as a career path for young people. And one of the points that I made or we made is that no one uh, grows up or uh, thinking that they're going to be in the EITM world. You know, it's not something that we're exposed to. So when you're young, you say, when I grow up, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a heli, um, uh, what is an, an, an astronaut. I want to be, you know. <laughs> so you don't, no one says, I want to be part of something within the ecosystem of the EITM. So how did you find this world of uh, evidence-informed decision-making? And would you call it that as well? Maybe you have a different name for it. So, so how I really got into it was because in... Um I joined the presidency in a project in 2009 on evidence-based policymaking okay. and um, uh, was involved then in supporting initiatives in South Africa around EBPM and then uh, was absorbed into the new Department of Planning, Monitoring and Evaluation when it was founded in 2010 and for a time worked in both but then very much took on this evidence-based agenda within my work in, in DPME. And in DPME, um, I, I, was, um, I initially had a sort of troubleshooter portfolio, but then I was asked to develop the national evaluation policy. Mm -hmm. And having developed that, I was asked to establish the national evaluation system, which I then did. And in establishing that, was very concerned that we did it in a way which encouraged the use of evidence. So we weren't just generating evaluations. We were generating evaluations which would be used and influence decision making. And so we set up the system that way. And then as I sort of got involved in the system and we got the system of delivery of evaluations working, I started working much more on how we create the environment mm. by which they would be used. And for example, we created a course on evidence-based policy making and implementation, which uh, director generals deputy director generals, chief directors, some directors attended. And we did this to try and create a, a culture mm -hmm. where senior managers would be interested and supportive of, of, um, of evidence, monitoring and evaluation evidence, but also wider evidence. And so that's really got me into it. And then when I finished my stint in government, Actually, at that stage, I thought I wanted to really reflect about what were the lessons around the use of evidence. And that's when I uh, I worked with um, um, a number of people, including Lawrence Langer of of um, of SACE to to on the book on evidence based policy, using evidence in policy and practice in Africa. Mm -hmm. And we will get into the book uh, just now. Uh, but maybe before we get into the book, um, how would you explain evidence-informed decision-making to someone who's never heard of evidence-informed decision-making before? So I think just simply using the best available evidence to inform decisions and practice. We love simple. <laughs> I love that definition. So let's talk about the book. So you looked at EITM in five countries in Africa. What did you learn from that process and how was that like? So I think one of the first things was before we did the work, we actually developed the analytical framework, which Lawrence put a lot of 
uh, time into. Mm -hmm. And that was really, really helpful. I found that very insightful. Um, it's not the simplest thing for people to take on board, but I found it very powerful in trying to understand what we were trying to do and being much more purposive about how you encourage evidence use. Okay. So the first thing was that analytical frame, which is very helpful. And out of using that, it, one of the things I think is very helpful, it talks about um, using evidence, then the change mechanisms, and then it talks about use interventions. What are the interventions what actually mm. undertakes to encourage use? And trying to be purposive about the use interventions rather than just generating the evidence is one of the key lessons, I think, and, and trying to help people to think consciously about how they build the motivation, the opportunity, and and the uh, uh, capability to use evidence. So I think that's very important. It also, one of the things we brought out in that framework was the importance of context. Mm. And... Um, the macro context and then the context of the individual organizations. And that was very, I think some really interesting stuff came out about that. Another is about the importance of soft skills to build relationships mm. and facilitate change. And one of the direct results of the book was developing some thinking around knowledge brokering and running training in knowledge brokering, which we did with Twende Mbele. And I think that's been, that's a, a positive area which we've sort of done more on since. And I think another lesson was about the importance of systematizing the demand for evidence. For mm. example, we could really see where in the countries which had national evaluation systems, Benin, Uganda and South Africa, how you, it was pushing to get evaluation used in practice, where we, countries that didn't have that was much more difficult. Can imagine. What are those five countries? Uh, for those who have not read the book, you should read the book if you haven't. <laughs> and, it, and it's available open access. So do do uh, we made sure of that. So the countries are South Africa, and there's two case studies from South Africa, Uganda, and there's two case studies from Uganda. Mm -hmm. There's Benin, there's Ghana, um, there's uh, um, Kenya, and there's also the ECOWAS countries of, of West Africa. Mm -hmm. So it's five countries and then the region of West Africa. Okay. Um, and then uh, what did you find works well in sort of uh, promoting evidence-informed decision-making in these countries? I think you mentioned one of the reasons, but maybe what are some? Of yeah, so I think one of the things is, is trying to, is um, people understanding the consequences of not doing it mm -hmm. in terms of wasted money and the lack of impact that uh, government programs, for example, are having on citizens. And for example, one of the things we I've used very much in, in for example, in the training on, on evidence that we ran was uh, a slide on the first 10 evaluations that we did in government mm -hmm. and how many of those showed that those programs needed major changes. And the reason they needed major changes because it was poorly designed often because the diagnosis was not done effectively and evidence wasn't used properly mm. in the design of the programs. So that's, I think, one of the important things. And then work that I've really used very extensively, including recently in Uzbekistan, is understanding how you can use evidence at different stages of the policy cycle mm. and different types of evidence at different stages. And it's not just at the beginning or just at the end, it's all through the whole policy cycle. Oh, nice, nice, nice takes there. Um, and then um, my next question is around what, what are some of the areas that you, you've identified need uh, improvement? So I think generally it's, it's the understanding by senior management, uh, oh, you know, and I think okay. 
not only senior management, but also mm -hmm. politicians, of how um, using evidence can lead to better development outcomes. And better development outcomes will mean that they do better in their performance agreements, that departments, ministries will deliver better, and that citizens will be happier. And that, that should result in more votes. So mm -hmm. trying to get the equation between better development and more votes so that, so that uh, decision makers see that if they use evidence and get those better decisions, it's going to lead to a virtuous circle. Mm, that speaks to uh, mechanism one, right? Raising awareness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like sort of that political buy-in. Yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then my next question is around uh, what are some of the mechanisms, uh, quite nice that I just said mechanisms, which were used to promote evidence use? I mean, there's different ways that you can go about trying to promote evidence use, but sort of what are, what are some of the mechanisms that you found? So I'm not taking it from the framework, but just talking in a more general sense. Yeah, so yeah, I think yeah, one, yeah. Of the, one of the ways, for example, that came out one of our case studies was at a, a parliamentary committee in Kenya using engaging citizens and citizen mm. evidence and evidence from NGOs in the revision of an act around wildlife conservation and management. And, and you know, so what's often underappreciated is the role of citizen evidence. And I think that was very interesting in that example. Another thing I think generally is that um, often the evidence suppliers have very much a supply-driven approach. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, they, they're, they're trying to get policymakers to adopt research that they've done or evaluations that they've done, but the policymakers didn't ask for the evidence. And so moving to a, more, a much more responsive system where one's getting policymakers to enunciate the sort of evidence needs they have, the things they need to learn about mm. and how evidence can support them, and then finding ways to to be able to support that evidence. So one of, again, one of the cases in the book is about the rapid response system being run by, and the rapid synthesis system being run by Acres yeah, at, yeah. at uh, Makarera University. And I think it's such an outstanding example. But for example, I've been working a lot now on promoting rapid evaluations. I'm going to be training next week in Mpumalanga, for example, on rapid evaluations. So trying to encourage people to think about more rapid ways to, to develop the evidence and feed it into decision making. And a, another thing I think is that the importance of, of involving different stakeholders. Mm. And so, for example, in the case study on Benin, um, pharma associations were, weren't initially, you know, there was an evaluation done of agriculture in agricultural policy in Benin and initially farmers associations weren't very involved. But when they got more involved later, the work became much more powerful and was taken much more seriously. So very important to involve the beneficiaries and not just mm. the experts. Mm. I love the, the first point you made around citizen um, sort of evidence, citizen engagement. I think that is one of the points as well that came up on the first episode uh, with uh, Prof. Rich Stewart. Uh, but then are, are there any innovative ones? I know you just said in, involving like the citizens, and but any innovative mechanisms that you have found and you thought, wow, this, is, this one is quite different? Well, I think, for, for example, the the rapid synthesis work that's happening yeah, yeah. at Acres is very unusual in an African context. There's not mm -hmm. many places that that happens. South Africa, it's happening, and and Cameroon a bit, it's happening, mm -hmm. but it's not happening in a widespread way. And there's a huge amount that could be done there. And I think that's it's a very important 
you know, aspect that, that needs to be looked at. And as I mentioned, also like the, the rapid evaluations, I think we need to be looking to that as a, as a different way of, uh, of, of, instead of thinking about the traditional evaluation systems, which are often derived from the ways that development agencies do evaluation, rather than thinking about how policymakers need evaluation. Mm. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Um, and then, what do you see the future of EITM uh, in Africa? We, we love the future. We want to know what's coming. So where, where I've got to in, in, in my, the stage of my career is, is I see the, the world moving to a very, very troubled place. Uh, not just Africa, the whole world. Um, the economic system we have is ex extremely destructive. It leads to, it's, it's causing inequality. It's, mm. Inequality is not a byproduct. It's causing inequality and it's causing climate collapse. And uh, so to me, the huge issue at the moment is how we bring climate ecosystems and inequality to the foreground of decision making. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the work I'm doing at the moment is about trying to bring evidence around that into all decision making processes. So it's foregrounded rather than it's somewhere at the back. Oh, well, you know, if you're doing something on the environment, you should think about these things. But realizing that the way our system works is causing collapse of the system for humanity. And the, 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 it is so urgent and action is needed so quickly and it's not being taken with the seriousness it needs to be taken. It's quite sad, but hopefully we'll get there. <laughs> um, so one last question. Uh, how do you want to be remembered now that you've given us this very uh, no, wide um, knowledge on EITM and the work that you've done? And you've, it seems like you've done quite a lot, uh, but then what is that one thing you want, you want to be remembered as? I just like to feel that I've made a contribution. Mm. It's that, that's, you know, in my small way, that there's been a difference that I've managed to contribute towards making the world a better place. I love that. I really love that. Um, any any closing remarks? Like, what's that one last thing you want to say to our audience? Uh, no, just I think maybe to say to the network members, the AEN is a really important network. I think it's making a great contribution in Africa mm -hmm. and carry on the good work. Thank you so much. And that's it. Uh, please make sure that you continue to interact with us on all social media platforms uh, using the hashtag AEN uh, podcast. Until, we, uh, until I see you again. Bye.